Today's chat is brought to you by the letter B. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I am good. How about you? Good. Thanks for joining me today. What is your full name and what you do? Uh, my full name is Jill Louise Broussard, and I am a professional commercial photographer. If you had a superpower or alter ego, what would it be? <laughs> okay, I was actually looking up superpowers, and I, I got so like locked down in things like turning into water or like being able to you know time manipulate. But um, I think in the end, there was this one that was like, you could understand things. You could just understand people and their needs. And I was like, oh, that would be it. That would be my superpower. To, like immediately walk into a situation and understand people's needs, what they were wanting, what they were saying, what they were thinking. That would be pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> I'd be like the most powerful person ever. Not that I could do anything with it, probably. It would probably <laughs> cause me a lot of pain and suffering. But you just know. You just know. Yeah. I, I kind of, I'm not saying that, uh, I feel like that that's what people in the creative, in the creative community kind of have to, to have a little bit. But just to yeah. kind of instantly know it, it's just, it's, it's, it's like, cumbersome. it's like that Mel Gibson movie, What Women Want. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's exactly yeah. what, it, what it is. Uh, it'd just be torture. You'd also not control who it is that you understood. Like I know things you don't want to know. It's probably so. It's, it's a terrible, cumbersome gift. Why would I want that? <laughs> Why would I want that for myself? Maybe so I like, just go back to wanting to be water or gas. Spoken, spoken like a true superhero. <laughs> so like, I just want to give. <laughs> I didn't choose that. <laughs> How would you describe what you do to other people that aren't in the field? Well, the way that I first realized what I wanted to do was that I saw billboards on the side of the highway and I thought someone is photographing those billboards I should be photographing those billboards and that immediately caused me to think about well who would hire people what what's the goal what companies are behind that and that's actually what kick-started the realization that I wanted to do commercial photography as opposed to like say wedding photography or um, you know something else like that so I shoot billboards I shoot magazine articles, you know, magazine pictures. I shoot advertisements. How old were you when you when you thought that? Like, were you? I was. I was in my like twenties. I mean, I I was in college and I I was a journalism major and I I started taking these upper level um, photography classes and just kind of for fun because I had some room in my schedule and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I love this. It was like you know back in the dark room and so I was you know in the dark you know fiddling around with the spools and the film and the, all the liquids and hanging all the papers and whatnot. I just fell in love with it. Quiet, peaceful thing that I didn't need anybody else to help me with. And I didn't have to be vulnerable. I could just sort of like keep to myself. And so that's how I got into it. And then I didn't know what, what kind of photography I wanted to do because that only gets you so far. And then I came across the billboards and I realized that was the, that was it. And so you've been doing it since college or since you graduated to jump mm -hmm. right, right into it. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, I mean, I worked at Starbucks for a lot of years because I couldn't figure out how to get into it. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, I want to shoot those billboards, but I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know who to talk to. And it, it wasn't until somebody that I worked with said, oh, let me introduce you to this person. And I talked to that person and he told me who to talk to and what to do. And then that's what kickstarted my career. But I, I worked at Starbucks for several years just trying to make sure I could pay the bills while I figured it out. How many years was that ago? That was when I was 23. So it's been about 11 years. Do you think that photography programs are doing a better job now of yes. kind of letting their, their well, students know that there is this opportunity? I think so. I think also with Photoshop and with Instagram and with all of the social medias, the 
and the outlets. I mean, we barely had Facebook when I was in school. I mean, we had we still had AOL. People were still doing like dial-up AOL. They were like chatting in chat rooms and stuff like that. And so, you know, it was like really an archaic type of communication. So people didn't know what other people were doing. And now that everybody knows that everybody's doing, I think it makes a lot more sense that, you know, kids know what to do. They're already manipulating their own photos, let alone photos for companies. And I mean, I just think there's so much more out there. So yeah, I think, you know, had I been born, you know, 10 years later, I might have known faster what I wanted to do or had more tools. But also I was in a journalism program and that was not like like one of those programs that really teaches you how to go out and be a commercial photographer. Mine was like, you know, go photograph a a building or a, an inanimate object or, you know, I could have gone to maybe Iraq with the kind of photography I was doing. Mm-hmm. So did they... So in the journalism program, you were still learning photography, but they weren't equipping you about, like, the business aspect oh, yeah. of it? Oh, no, no, not at all. It was never, like, there wasn't even a question about it. It was just primarily learning how to take pictures and how to compose and then how to, like, I remember one day we did slides, like, we, we shot on slide film, and then we learned how to mount them and look at them in cork. Like, so <laughs> it was super archaic. <laughs> and I just, I didn't understand anything about the business of photography, about the marketing of photography, about how it worked in with advertising. I mean, there's so many ways we could go back and change that. But I just don't even know if my school even offered a commercial photography path. I mean, there's so many things that I could tell them to do, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not even on their radar, I don't think. So um, A lot of the kids now have the tools that you didn't have. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that that poses any particular challenge, or do you think that's actually more of an opportunity? I think and one of the biggest difficulties is that there are so many hacks out there now. Like, there's so many kids that can get into it without sort of understanding the business aspect. And I think that it's hard for people who've been spending their life working on becoming professional and what that actually looks like to be professional. I think that it's difficult because every kid has the tools and it, they're so intuitive because they've grown up with computers in a way that we didn't. But it's just, it's like there's so many opportunities, but then I don't know how many of those people can actually become professional and and maybe that's really maybe the definition of professional is changing because all they have to do is shoot something and then somebody else manipulates the image and then somebody else you know does so much stuff that you kind of maybe maybe that's where it's going so I guess it's just things are changing and I think that there are a ton of opportunities and that's scary for like kind of the older photographers and I, I say myself to include the older photographers that have been around that have had to sort of pound the pavement and I think with Instagram you can kind of become an overnight success and if you have good marketing and you know how to google code all your words and you know like get everything you know so that things keep getting pinged and hit and you know I'm, I'm making myself sound like an idiot as I'm like floundering for technologically <laughs> savvy words to explain how fast people can network themselves you know I mean I've struggled for years to figure out how to network myself in and it's only been like persistence and hard work and I think kids are doing that in college now and so they're coming out with way more experience and way more opportunity and way more knowledge. So it's I think it's awesome for them. I think it's scary for me, but it's awesome for them. How would you then describe what you do to somebody outside of the field? Taking that into account, like, you know, if somebody said, you know, came up to you and, and at like a, I don't know, if somebody came up to you tonight and said, hey, what do you do? And you said, yeah, I'm a commercial photographer. But then somebody else mentioned, you know, yeah, my, my kids in, in college, they do photography or they do the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. They, they do the same thing. And, you know, let's say yeah. it, you weren't drinking champagne, you were drinking hard tequila. So, <laughs> so I'm really letting it all out. So you're a little pissed off. Um, <laughs> how would you 
knowing that this person may not be somebody that could be like a potential client. <laughs> oh, um, just hot seconds. How would you describe what you do so that they understand like what, what hiring a professional yeah. photographer? So, how would you describe it? Oh gosh, that's a good one. Basically, I would just say you know to differentiate myself from somebody who who's in college who maybe knows you know knows photography or knows Photoshop that it has to do with being able to pull together a team of people. I, I work in complex groups of people and I, I produce high quality work and I work in studio and work on location. I, you know, I work all over the place and I have a number of professionals that I lock together with in, in terms of stylists and producers and creatives and, you know, high end retouching. And so I, I think it's the level of quality that I can provide and mm-hmm. the level of I can be anywhere doing anything. Whereas like some kid in college might only be able to like, they know how to, you know, do some photography in their hometown or their, their college and maybe they have access to lights at school but you know I've got a whole network and a whole team and a professional service that I provide and I guess I would say if it really came down to it I would just you know mention some name brands that I work with and that would sort of set the bar uh, the bar a little bit higher mm-hmm. so I think it has to do with with the professional service like the thorough professional service that I provide versus just being able, just being good with lights or just being good with the camera but I bring a whole network to the table and 10 years of experience. So maybe that's how I would say it. Oh, that's kind of a difficult one because I do. I try not to talk about it in public because I, I do get a little riled up, you know, and, <laughs> and, and people also don't understand. And also, I just don't like to talk about myself that much. So I, I keep all that under wrap. Yeah. Part. <laughs> I mean, I think what photography is facing and what creative designers and illustrators mm-hmm. are, are also facing is, you know, with all these tools out there, you know, it, it is making creativity, or at least the tools, kind of a bit of a commodity. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost, I mean, you work at Starbucks. It's like there's a difference between going to 7-Eleven and grabbing a coffee yourself mm-hmm. and then going mm-hmm. to Starbucks and getting a, a chai latte, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you can go get a low-rent version of, of a cup of coffee, but if you go to Starbucks, it's the experience. It's kind yeah. of like you go in there because you you have already the, the peace of mind and confidence that this is going to be a good cup of coffee and that you're going to enjoy being there and get in and get out. I mean, people will stand in super long lines or, mm-hmm. or drive, you know, wait in wait in a drive through line just to get, like, their version of a, yeah. of, a star, of, of a Starbucks drink. But, I mean, I think that that's just kind of what the value is of, of the whole experience and, you know, being taken care of. It, maybe that's what it is. It's actually because you know you're going to be taken care of. And then like you can, yeah. You'd be like, I used to work at Starbucks. Let me call you. Did you really? No, 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 no. I worked me, at a, yeah. I worked at a mom and pop like coffee shop in college. But I mean, I I heard that. I actually heard that really great analogy at the, one of the AIJ leadership retreats. But it is in the future. This is how we have to position ourselves because especially with everything being so accessible, you know, it, it's really placing people and and their kind of peace of mind and even on the on the back end. I think that's one of the, the cool things about mm-hmm. growing in the in the field is that the the long you're in it, the more that your focus isn't just what the person on the other side of the camera looks like or feels or the other side of the advertisement. Like you're also looking at, you know, what is the comfort level of the client and how can exactly. you focus on them. Yeah, it, you're totally right. It's interesting that this superpower that you chose is, you know, focused on <laughs> how, how do you guys what feel? People? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're totally right. I guess it is about providing the experience and and the level of of the quality of all the years that I've been working. And I know that I'm I'm so much more calm when like crazy things happen on set. And maybe somebody who's really young like can't. They just haven't had all those experiences. And so I don't know how you like cap that and sum that up to somebody who doesn't know what you do. But I think that those are those are the next best things to keep in mind. How to like put all that in. Well, now you can just <laughs> yeah. You can just you can just point them over to this podcast. This podcast. <laughs> okay. So let's go into more before we go deep into the dire part of, of business. Who is your hero or mentor? I, I actually that's one of the only questions I didn't really think about beforehand. But I will tell you, I, I worked with several photographers in my assisting years and I worked with one photographer who was the biggest jerk but he knew business and I really valued working with him because I didn't really like him as a person a whole lot but I loved his business aspect and he was so creative and he knew how to how to swivel things around so that it would go his way or that you know how to propose the right like you could just think outside of the box and I I love that business sense so that was one person who would definitely not be like my mentor but I I was always watching when I was assisting because being a photographer is not just about learning how to take pictures properly and light properly, but it's about how to work with people properly, how to propose new ideas, like how they acted and what they said and their business model. So I was always paying a lot of attention to that. So that just kind of like brings into mind, just picturing whenever I've worked with a photographer before, what they do and also kind of the skill set that they bring to the table, especially if you're talking about kind of like portrait photography. Uh Uh Is there anything particular about your personality that you think led you to to not, not just kind of getting into it? You know, like when you saw, you know, I want to put people and things on billboards mm-hmm. um, that's kept you in it. Because there, oh, yeah. there's definitely something to be said about being on the on the side of the camera and trying to get, <laughs> get people to do stuff. You know, I, it's, yeah, like I have several answers that all kind of wrap up into one thing. The reason I started photographing people was because I started having um, a huge relationship with my nephews and they were young and I just, I just wanted to capture them. And I, the more that I loved them, the more that I wanted to capture them on film. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that that translated into people and uh, emotions. And because I'm such a like emotional person and a like learning how to be a journalistic photographer, you watch and you pay attention and you listen and you observe. And so doing all of those things and then finding something that you love to watch and observe and like kind of pulling that out and, and the deeper the relationship is that you have with your subject the more vulnerable they become but you have to be vulnerable too because you've got to set the pace for them to feel comfortable and I think that when you ask what's in my personality that makes me that, that keeps me coming back or that helps me develop this it's it's just that I think I have a really compassionate side that sees the vulnerability that it takes to sit in front of a camera and that it takes to do a lot of things in life and everybody has different comfort levels and so I have to bring to the table this like you don't have to worry you're safe here because nobody it's, it's putting yourself out there to sit in front of the camera I don't even like sitting in front of the camera like I'm much happier to be on the back side I just I want people to feel safe and I, I sort of approach it like like with this kind of like loving space like that's kind of what I like to create and so I guess that that's what's in my nature and that's why you know that's why I like shooting people because there's just vulnerability yeah so again it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> it all Can I answer that? that I don't know that's perfect because you know I've had the luck and the, the joy of shooting with you before. 
you do allow people to be comfortable in front yes. of the camera. And that's not an easy thing to do. Like making, you know, making kids turn out a good picture, that that's not as hard. But <laughs> when it's like a six-year-old C-suite dude who he's powerful, but he does not think he's attractive. And, you know, it, I've right. seen you make somebody that just comes in kind of with a, I'll just take my picture, you know. And <laughs> now I know I am too. This is the dour, the, the slightly less, less happy faces we've had to deal with. How intimidating is that? You know, it's pretty intimidating, especially when you've got a whole team of people that are watching you and watching how you handle it. It's very scary. And I think that I just I just have to take it all in stride. And I just you have to sort of peel back the layers. And it, it's not a charisma, but it's definitely an optimism. And it's a like, that's cool. Like, we'll get there. It doesn't have to be perfect after the gate. You have to work at it with somebody. And the first picture is not going to be good. And that's why, you know, when we shoot, I say, you know, I'm just testing for light just to get them comfortable with, you know, with the flashing. Like half of it is just getting them comfortable and, and developing a rapport because mm-hmm. then I look for something that'll make them smile or something I can say to sort of peel back that layer and, and those little moments where they're smiling to themselves or they're they're smiling at something I said, that's when you capture the picture or, you know, just talking to them about something that they love, but you have to find out what they love first. Mm-hmm. So you've got to take some time and it's creating that experience. You have to create that experience for them so that they can feel comfortable and forget about their awkwardness. Right. So, And that genuine smile turns that dour face into the right face. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you do for inspiration? Ooh. Um, you know, this morning when I was preparing for this interview, I, um, I, I the way that my home desk sits, the, the sunlight when it's coming up, it comes up right through the window, but it, it's not like, it's not like straight on. It's like at an angle. So it like it comes through in this like really thick slice of bright sunlight. And it's like kind of glowy. And I've got these great diffused curtains that make the light just really soft. And it's it's like a beautiful moment. And I, as a photographer, I'm always looking at light and how like light reflects on the things and the, the, the spots and the shadows. And I think what I... You know, I think about my my trade, like would I want to implement that lighting somewhere? How would I do that? But but in these like other more general moments, I just I, it's just sort of taking in a space, and it's taking in the way the sun hits my face, and it's just taking a breath. And so I guess inspiration happens everywhere. One of my favorite things is this new house that I that I live in. The sun, when the sun sets, it does the same thing, but it comes in through the front door. And it creates this golden glow, and the way that the door is shaped, it's like this little hobbit round-topped door. Mm-hmm. And the light just comes in, and it's this golden light, and the, um, the the door is bright red, so it's like this red, fiery glow, and it's just beautiful. And it has nothing to do with being a photographer. It just has everything to do with what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. And I think it's just being grateful in those small moments is what's inspiring to me. Like, that's what gives me the strength to be grateful about everything in my life. Um, you know, taking a walk in nature, looking at the leaves falling, you know, listening to some good music and, and feeling. Feeling is what inspires me. So I guess all those things wrapped up. It's kind of experiencing the whole, yeah. um, appreciating the whole room. Do you, do, yeah. you not, do you not think that that, because you're a photographer, and you you have a you have an eye to see these things. You know, kind of when you're composing a picture, you look at what's in front of you, and you're like, nope, 
take that out, put this in, you know what I mean? Yes, like, you know, absolutely. what's going to be distracting because of the experience. Do you think that that helps you appreciate the room or wherever you're in a little bit more? Uh, well, yes. Yes, I do. I was do. it like a, like but a Terminator eye in your leg? <laughs> no, it's pretty. <laughs> it's, yeah. And now it's beautiful. Now it's beautiful. You know, I, yes, I think that being a photographer has enhanced my ability to notice Things, but I also think that that's what drew me into photography. So it's at the chicken or the egg, and mm-hmm. I I think about how I am with with music, and I I always wonder about people's relation to music because you know I, I spend a lot of time feeling, and and I do that with music. So it's like if I was in if I was in music, you know maybe maybe you would ask me the same question. Well, does being a musician enhance your your ability to embrace and appreciate music? Well, I don't. I, you know, I'm not a musician, but I appreciate and embrace music, and that helps me feel, and that helps me create, and that sets the tone and sets the pace. So I don't know if I appreciate light more than I appreciate music. Maybe it's mm-hmm. just the, the intricate package of what what I'm made of. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's really yeah. the fact that you appreciate it. That but, I have it. I mean, I think that that maybe that I mean, that's even part of the value too. Like if somebody could see what a photographer sees, like a professional oh, yeah. photographer, and seeing, oh yeah, you know what the possibility is that oh, you bring so right. to the room, and like what somebody who writes will bring into the room. It's just that kind of, it's that yeah. honed, it's that, uh, it's that really that. It's that skill. It's like your 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 knife is sharper, you know. Um, I love it. So, do you have any advice then that you'd give to somebody who wants to do what you do and do it to the level of do it to the level of kind of easy sophistication that you do? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, mastery is not without hard work. And I, the advice that I give to everybody is to keep asking questions and be open like don't get so caught up and and I think that's one of my problems sometimes because I ask so many questions that I I get conflicting answers and then sometimes I actually don't even know what to do with all of the information I receive because I'm so open to it that I'm like oh well why don't I try this and I have to really like like take some time and, and and get back into like hone back to what I know and and take a few things but not take everything and so but I think largely people just have to be open and you have to keep trying and you have to be, and that's, this is getting into like the qualities of a, of a photographer or the qualities of myself that, that make me good at my job. It's that I just, I'm persistent and I just keep showing up and in life, like I just keep showing up and I just keep asking and I just keep trying to remain optimistic and look at every opportunity as exactly that, an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's a mindset. And, and I guess I have the eye and I, I don't know what to say about that because I was either born with it or I developed it along the way or I wanted it badly enough that I figured it out. But, but the composition stuff usually has always come really easy to me. I mean, that's the least of the problem. Like it's the technical and, you know, the business side that, that's the hard part. And so it's just showing up to learn the rest. And I guess it's having that innate, innate creative talent and, you know, to start with. So creative usually described as being risk takers. And I've seen a, a picture of you <laughs> sitting kind of half out of a window so to take a picture. 
<laughs> I have been in so many bizarre places spent as a photographer. It's like I've been I've been on so many ladders, like 30 feet up in the air. I've been hanging out of so many windows. And, and all that I can say is that as a photographer, you just, you want to be wherever you can't. Like, can I just move this wall? Oh, can I just get up into the sky? Like, what if I shoot through this window? It's like <laughs> the most bizarre thing ever. So what is the biggest risk you've taken? You know, there's there's so many. If I look back at my trail of successes and, and defeats and setbacks, there's been so many decisions that I have made that set off a new course. I was I was working I was working pretty consistently with somebody for a while, and I was I was learning a lot of things. And um, my brother died in the middle of it, and I it was it was kind of a sudden thing, and I I had to make some decisions to spend more time with my family. And doing that, I didn't realize at the time that doing that basically effectively cut off my relationship with that photographer for for whatever reason. And I was really sad about that, but it was like it brought me off in a new direction. Um, and then there was the time when I mean there was moving to Dallas in general because I didn't I didn't grow up here and I didn't live here and I moved here to start a career and that was a huge risk because I didn't even know anything about the Dallas market I mean I didn't even know what I was doing you know so that was a risk and I mean and then quitting Starbucks and saying okay this is it like if I don't make money doing this I'm not going to be able to pay my rent and that was a huge risk because I was terrified I was like you know was it Linus with his blanket on Charlie Brown so (laughs) there's been a lot of different risks in my life that I've I've taken and I don't know if they've they've effectively all paid off, but some were some were better than others and some were riskier than others. Like I, I don't think I don't think I'm a risk taker. I think I'm a very um I I don't really see anything in my life as having been a risk. Everything's been very calculated. And so I don't know if I fit the standard profile of a photographer. <laughs> I don't think that is a standard profile. <laughs> or, or maybe yeah. it's just that you don't see things as risks. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you it's just re- cuz I'm very well prepared. Or you just react well. I, I mean, I think that there's this kind of, you know, that's ability kind. ability to bounce back. I mean, that's, that's yeah. some of the things that you mentioned are, are are tough. I mean, it's not necessarily like whenever you lose a relationship with somebody or somebody, you know, passes away. I mean, there's there's people that deal with it and there's people that don't. And I That's think true. that, you know, maybe maybe sometimes risk is only risk if somebody doesn't think that it, it's worth doing. You know, maybe it's just that thing you have to do. Um, yeah. So you, you didn't know anything about Dallas before you moved here? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so that's just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just so, eased into the Dallas part of the conversation. Yes, you like that? I like that. So why did you stay? Because, well, okay, so let me set it up for you. So I grew up in San Francisco, and I went to college in Texas. For, um, I have family here, so that's, that's why I ended up in Texas. And then I was dating somebody that, that out of college that wanted to move to Dallas. And I wasn't ready to move back to California, um, and I wasn't ready to stay in my college town. Um, and I had to move somewhere. And Dallas seemed like a like a reasonable, safe jump. Now, there's that whole, like, safety thing again. Like, I had my little Starbucks job. I could transfer. You know, I, I it was Dallas's metropolitan city. Um, you know, and then as I, I just got into it and I just, like, started making 
making phone calls and kind of figured it out. And and then once I had started building a web and a level of, of comfortability, then it became harder and harder to think about leaving. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I put down roots and maybe that's part of why I feel like I can take risks because I, I put down roots and I, I have all the hope in the world. And, and then it just makes it hard to leave something that you've fought for and that you've, that you've, that you've accomplished. It makes it hard to turn away like when you have pride in something. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the way I looked at Dallas was that Dallas was my was my big um was my big success story. Like the fact that I was able to build something out of nothing made me feel really proud. And I just, Dallas kind of became mine, even though I like didn't really want it. It's like, it's like the, like the abandoned puppy that shows up at your door. You're like, I don't really want this. I already have puppies. I don't need another puppy. But then you take it in and then you're like, oh, but now you're mine. And you're kind of ugly, but I love you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. so Dallas is the ugly puppy. It's cool. Kind of. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. It kind of is. But the thing is, is is that puppy becomes like the loyal one and that becomes the one that you like get worried about when it's losing a teeth or you know you, you just it just somehow becomes yours and I think that that's my like eternal optimism about a thing and the persistence of a thing so so what's your favorite part of this puppy you know people are friendly people are friendly and it's it's a forgiving place to live because you can you can do so many things and there's so many opportunities and it's like the simple things I mean I'm, I'm getting I'm, there's a lot of different parts of the puppy I guess because I feel like there's a lot of opportunity maybe that's what it is I feel like there's so much capacity it's like an untapped resource like a volcano that hasn't blown yet but it's like boiling and boiling you know mm-hmm. and and I guess that there's just a lot of excitement when a thing has yet to be developed because you get to be on the inside track like you get to be part of what makes something cool as opposed to showing up and it's already cool mm-hmm. we, you mentioned the hospitality right like people here mm-hmm. are very it's almost this laid back really nice and they're they're always willing to kind of bend over backwards for people that they're not even close to and I think that you know just from the conversations that I have that can be kind of just help define what not I wouldn't even say it's southern hospitality because Dallas hospitality is very different from southern hospitality you know there's this there's a transparency that's part of it there's a this asshole chef said that southern hospitality is rooted in Dallas people being unable to face confrontation like they won't tell you to your face what they think. Do you believe that? Like, do you think that that's why people yeah. are nice? <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's why people are nice. I do think that people don't like conflict, and I think. Well, I think that as on the subject of conflict, I think we've just gotten to a place in society where people don't want to burn bridges because they never know when they're going to have to be like back in that same loop, asking the same question again. But people, people just sort of don't give you the real answer. Mm-hmm. Like somebody would never say to me. My favorite thing that I hear these days is somebody is going in a different direction. Like, just tell me, was my work not good enough? Was it not strong enough? Did I not have enough experience? Did you have a prior relationship with the other photographer that I was bidding against? Mm-hmm. Like, people will never give you the real reason. And I would prefer to know the real reason because then I could get better at it or I could relax knowing that there was never a chance in the world I was going to I was gonna break that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's the most frustrating and most vague answer you could give me. <laughs> like, just don't spare my feelings. I would just rather know the truth. Well, yeah, you know? especially when you're talking about business. Is that something that you think is, when you put in work for like a bid or an estimate in for a job in Dallas versus a job in like, let's say, San Francisco or New York, do... Do art directors or creative directors in New York and, and San Francisco and L.A., are they like, no, you know, they didn't like your stuff. Like, do they say that versus that? Like, <laughs> no, they don't say are that we, either. Are we nicer or is it? 
actually, I think we are nicer because I think that they just wouldn't say anything. A lot of the other cities, they just won't say anything. Like, they just never respond, you know, to, to inquiries. Like, what happened to that bid? Did that bid just go away? Like, what, what's going on? Do they just, you yeah. know, and they just don't respond. And, and at least in Dallas, people will say, oh, they went in a different direction. <laughs> So okay. I don't know. It's like it's like a lesser degree of 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 ignoring you, but it's still you know. I think it's just I think confrontation is hard for most people, and and if you're at all compassionate, which if you're at all compassionate, it's hard to know when somebody wants the truth and they're strong enough to do the right thing with the truth versus whether they just want fluff. Some people might be happy with oh they went in a different direction, but me I'm like well what does that mean? Is there something that I could have done differently? You know, let me know. But not everybody wants to hear that. So maybe people are just trying to do what's right for the massive people. No, I'm wondering if that's like a class that we, or a, like a workshop that we have with AIGA, where it's like, okay, this is a confrontation workshop. Here's how to do That is a brilliant idea. Because I think that handling handling confrontation in a direct, professional way is something that not a lot of people know how to do. It's very difficult. I mean, I think about times when I've had to say hard things, and sometimes I'm good at it, and sometimes I'm not. So, yeah, I think a confrontation workshop would be excellent for life it's the people that we're talking about specifically in the creativity we have an excuse to to be less confrontational you know what i mean because it is these are people that you have to work with again and like these are people that you're going to need something from it is, you know, really important to know, one, give them feedback because they're not going to get better until you give them that information. But then at the same time, you have to be very tactful. I don't yeah. know. I, I think that there's it, there's definitely, you know, something to be said about people that can break news and, and say something mm-hmm. that's helping mm-hmm. you, that helps you improve yourself without, like, you being like, what a dick, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, I think that it, would be a great there's, there's a lot of grace in that, and I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's like having your words and mixing them with empathy and straightforwardness, and, and yeah, it's that's a whole bag of tricks that not a lot of people can access. It's a workshop or a, yes. or a group or a group conversation. Yeah, I yeah. think a workshop. I think like a day long workshop where you have to tell people certain things and you have to practice what those words sound like. Like this could be a whole thing. Totally do this. I think. I think maybe if it's mm-hmm. even rooted in in like women's leadership, because I think yeah. that that's like where you know at this cusp of where you're you're seeing a lot of of women being kind of thrust into these leadership roles. I feel like women get questioned a little bit more. They whenever, do get questioned yeah. more. Even regardless Completely. of how they... They sound like a... Yeah. Yeah. By other women. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. Have you ever had a Have you ever had a woman tell you that you're being too straightforward, or like that you sound rude, or that you sound, you know? And it's like, well, am I just being straightforward, or yeah. you know, or am I, you know, am I being rude, or am I being honest? Yeah. And and where is that? Because I think that women don't even know, and I think men certainly don't know. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's that whole assertiveness and. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know, whenever anybody has said it to me, I'm like, my dad told me to talk like this. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, what you want because if you if you do anything with like a you know this this thing that I learned in linguistics in certain cultures the way that they have countered you know kind of like the history of their conversations or just kind of like because of you know things that have happened in in the in the culture part of the way that they they speak can kind of point to those those times in history so like. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know if it's it's Australia or Scotland where they said that like the end of the sentence always rises, so it almost sounds more like yes. a question. Sounds like a question, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like it's because I don't know if it was because of how wherever was founded, but it's just like there's just this kind of like is, is everything okay? Like every statement almost becomes softer by making it rise at the end, you know, versus That's being true. just like you have people that kind of like talk very bulldog, you know, this is it. This is, you know, definitive. Mm-hmm. Interpret this as you will. What does tomorrow look like? Tomorrow looks like another day. Um, this is probably another key into my personality. The more things change, the more things stay the same. And tomorrow will be another day of doing the same things and doing them a little bit differently, you know, enjoying that sunburst in the morning, you know, making that good cup of coffee and and feeling what it feels to be grateful and then feeling what it feels to be diligent and disciplined mm-hmm. and accepting the imperfections. And maybe this is the day that the call comes that I get that job I've been wanting. And maybe this is the day that I just get an appointment to see somebody I've been trying to see and maybe this is the day that I get turned down for for a bid that I put in and you never know it's like a day of endless possibilities and so every day is hopeful and so tomorrow I guess is just another day of putting in the good fight and being optimistic and maybe it's a day of shooting or maybe it's a day of retouching or maybe it's a day of hiking or maybe it's a day of drawing Mm -hmm. so it's just like more of the same and some days there's a good groove and some days there's a disconnect connected groove but you know it's just persistence Mm -hmm. another day of persistence and hope So, so what is the last item on your bucket list taking my nephew who is now 14 to iceland to iceland Uh (laughs) uh-huh we've we talked about that when he was 10 and we like to talk about where we're going to go and where we're going to travel and it's like not the most important item on my bucket list but it's like one of those items that if I if I get that checked off it's going to be like yeah that was a long time coming mm-hmm. so okay. we're we're hitting the home stretch in the okay. last last part of the quick fire so mm-hmm. what's your favorite font <laughs> Optima is my favorite font favorite word Oh, sweet. I had this one. Favorite word. Oh, um, you know, it, the only word that I'll take to the grave with me is the one that's tattooed on my back. Uh-huh. And that word is aletheia, and that word means a revealed truth. Nice. So kind of like the superpower, and you just kind yes. of know. Yes, there it is. It is. The that is. Truth. Nice. Favorite. Oddly consistent, right? Oh, my gosh. It's so great. Favorite color? Purple. Favorite quote? Uh, the one that is tacked to my wall, which says, discipline is the cornerstone of freedom, not the opposite. Elvis or the Beatles? The Beatles. Describe yourself in five words. Mm. Pragmatic, compassionate, persistent, accessible, and grateful. Describe yourself in one word. Grateful. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. We did it. Yay, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for including me in this. Do you have any last shout outs to roll into the credits? Yeah, you know, I there's there's one I do wanna say there's one photographer that I've I've worked with so much and he has taught me the value of compassion and teamwork and grace. 
And I, I think that I would be remiss if I didn't say that that was something that was another one of my mentors that um, I just learning the skill set of compassion and grace in the business has been such a valuable like moral compass for me mm-hmm. to realize you can do business with ethics. Like We haven't really touched on ethics and I feel very strongly that that's something that's got to be so important. And so I, I just I would be remiss if I didn't mention that as part of my, my skill set that I'm developing and having, having that integrity. Awesome. Anyway, that's it. That's my last shout out to Integrity. Go Integrity! The interview you just heard is bookended by the track Blue Jay from the album Feathers by Blue Dot Sessions, which I borrowed from freemusicarchive.org and used under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. Thank you for listening to The Dallas Type. I'm Francis Liliana. And remember, as the late, great Tom Landry said, the quality of a man's life is in direct proportion to his commitment to excellence.